This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter 19. And as you're turning there, I'm going to quote a verse and ask a couple questions. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. How many of you have heard that verse before? You all know that verse, right? How many of you know the second half of the verse? Most of the time we quote the first half, don't we? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Why can we be still as believers and know that He is God? Because He's going to fulfill His purpose. He's going to be exalted as, as missionaries go around the world and bring the gospel. Lives are changed. He's going to be exalted among the nations and among the heathen. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. The, the first one, it says, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. You all know that verse? You heard that before? Who doesn't want that blessing upon their life? I do. God be merciful and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us? How many of you know the second verse that follows that? Verse 2 says, That thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. Why was the psalmist asking God to be merciful unto him and to bless him and cause his face to shine upon him? So that he could go and tell the world about the saving health of Christ. His, his glory among all nations. That His way may be known upon the earth. How many times do we as believers ask for God's blessing in our lives? Simply so we may have God's blessing. So that we can consume it and enjoy it for ourselves and our self-serving purposes. Are you selfish in asking for God's blessing? Do you desire that God bless you so that you may have His strength to make His saving health known among all nations? How do you see God's blessing upon you? That's what it's for. We should want God's blessing so that we can have the strength, the finances, the, the capacity to make His saving health known around the world. That's the reason He blesses His people. Not so we can consume it upon our own selfish desires. God desires to pour out His blessings upon you, but He does it for a purpose. And I want to see one of those purposes in Luke chapter 19. In Sunday school, I said, what's, what, what greater motivation to support and give and increase your faith in missions giving and missions and going and, and spreading the gospel than, a, than the stories of lives that God transformed? Just to remind us that He's still in the saving business. And to, this morning, I want us to... Uh, Go through the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. We had all the little kids in here. We could sing it. I should get all of you to sing it with me. That would be fun. Zacchaeus was the wee little man. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Let's read and go from there. The Bible says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was and could not, for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. 
And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you glad that Jesus came to seek us out and to save us? He didn't come to condemn the world, as it says in John chapter 3, but that the world through him might be saved. I want us to see in this passage, just to be encouraged and motivated, to be reminded that Jesus still has the power to transform lives, I want us to see five supernatural acts of God that took place in the conversion of Zacchaeus. Five supernatural acts of God. And the first one we see in verse number 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. I see here that Jesus walked a pre-designed path. And you say, well, what do you mean he walked a pre-designed path? Look, look at the, let's get some context. Chapter 18, and look, look at verse 31 of chapter 18. It says, Then he, that's Jesus, took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from their eyes. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he's heading up to Jerusalem. Why is he going there? He's on a path that's been designed and laid out for him, this pre-designed path. What's at the end of this path? It's the cross. He just told his disciples what's going on. He says, I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be bruised. I'm going to have that crown of thorns put on my head. I'm going to be nailed to the cross after I'm beaten and tortured and, and uh, spitted upon and mocked and spitefully entreated among men. And I'm going to go to that cross and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And They didn't understand these things. The Bible says it was hidden from their eyes. Jesus, as He's on this path towards Jerusalem, He knows why He's going. He knows the future. If anyone in the history of mankind would have had an excuse, a good excuse we would say, to be consumed with himself, I think it would be Jesus at this moment. Imagine if you knew the future and you knew that two days from now you're going to be crucified. You're going to be hung up for the world to see and shame and spitefully entreated and mocked and, and tortured and then nailed to a cross for the sins of your enemies. you think you'd have a little bit of weight upon your heart? you think you'd have a little bit of being consumed with yourself, thinking, Lord, how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to face this? Lord, I need your grace. I can't. How am I going to go through this? Jesus knew what was going to happen, and He was soon, as the Bible says, to become sin for us, He who knew no sin. He was going to be nailed to that old rugged cross. He walked a pre-designed path, and as he walked this path, rather than thinking about himself and the, the, the death that was soon to be upon him, what do we find him doing? Do we find him self-consumed? We find him thinking of others. Zacchaeus wasn't the first one he met upon, or the only one he met on this path, but as he goes, he enters and passes through Jericho, and he stops and he takes the time to go to a wicked and a godless man's house. His name was Zacchaeus. <laughs> what a Savior who cares about the sinful and the lost so much that he'll put his own, his own uh, the weight that was upon him aside 
and put his concentration and his care and his love upon those who are his very enemies. And take the time to go to their house and show them that he loves them and that he died for them or is going to die for them at this point. He wasn't consumed with himself. Can I remind you, if you're a believer here this morning, you walk a path that's been pre-designed for you as well. Now, I'm not saying pre-designed is in a fatalistic idea that, you know, fall down the stairs and break your leg and go, I'm glad that's over. Whatever happens is going to happen. That's not how God works. My God is so sovereign that he can allow me to have a choice to believe in him. At the same time, he still is in control over everything. How that works, I don't understand, but God is all-powerful. And he has put me on a path that's been pre-designed and pre-arranged and everything is designed and tailor-made for me and for you. And your path is different than my path. Some of you in here have knowledge that I don't have and expertise that I don't have and God's put you in your line of work that I could never do. And he's given you the, maybe he's given you uh, the family that, that, uh, that is difficult or a family that's easy and he's given you different kinds of families, different kinds of circumstances. All of you are walking down a path in your life and God has you on that path for a reason. All along that path, are Zacchaeus's. Men and women and ladies and or men and ladies and, and boys and girls that need Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're lost in sin, they have no hope, and God has put you on your path and He's allowed you to interact with them because they need Christ. There are people that you'll meet in your workplace, in your neighbors, your family, as you travel, that'll never step foot in this church. So you can't dump them off on pastor and say, Pastor, you reach them for Christ. There are people that I'll never meet, but God's put them on your path. And doubtless, as Pastor mentioned this morning, many of you in here are going through extreme difficulties and illnesses and trials in your life right now. The Bible says we're all going to go through them, and that's not to minimize any one of them. Many of you may be here this morning and something else is weighing heavy on your heart. A grief, a trial, a temptation, a pain, a, a, a suffering that you're going through and you go, nobody else understands. And I can tell you, nobody in this earth may understand, but Jesus does. Let me challenge you this morning. Don't become consumed with the path that you're on. Instead, remember, God has you on that path because if you weren't on that path, there's Zacchaeus's that you would never meet. And if you never met them, they would never meet the Savior. If you're consumed with yourself, if Jesus had been consumed with himself, what would have happened? He would have made it to Jerusalem. He would have never even noticed Zacchaeus. But he was thinking of others. Perhaps God gave you that illness as a trial, not only to strengthen your faith and teach you patience and show you His love, but because maybe there's someone else who has an illness that you're going to meet in the hospital. And you, as a believer, have the everlasting arms of Jesus that you can lean upon. And they have nothing. Do you ever stop and think that when you're at the hospital, the doctor's office, that everybody there is suffering? Everybody is, not just you. There's people there that are sick. 
There's people there that are visiting someone that's sick. There's people there that are nursing someone that's sick. There's people there that are doctoring someone that's sick. Everybody's there because of sickness and illness, and everybody is suffering in some form or the other. And the difference between you and them is you have a Savior. And you can lean upon Him, and you can trust Him, and you can have joy in the midst of your pain and your difficulty because you have eternal life. You have salvation from sin, and they don't have it. You walk a path that God has you on. Don't miss the Zacchaeus. Don't walk on by. Don't, don't ignore them. Don't think of yourself so much that you don't see the other person that's suffering and they need Jesus. And you have them. Share them. Pray for others in your church that are going through illness. Not only that God would heal them, that's wonderful to pray, but pray, Lord, through this, would you give them the strength to share the gospel with others that they'll meet? Would you bring others to Christ through this difficulty? God allows sufferings in our life and He brings good out of them. Jesus walked a pre-designed path. The second thing I see here that's supernatural is that Jesus, rather that a publican was convinced to seek Jesus. A publican was convinced to seek Jesus. Verse 3 it says, And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was little of stature. What was a publican? Was a, they were known as wicked, godless men. They were sellouts, if you will. Rome had conquered much of the known world, Israel being one of the nations. They imposed taxes upon them. How many of you like taxes, right? Well, they had to have a way to collect those taxes. Enter in scene, the publican. They would be Jewish sellouts, if you will. They would sell out to the Roman government and say, okay, we'll collect taxes from our own people and we'll return the taxes to you. But because they had the backing and authority of the Roman government, they, they were thugs and thieves and they would steal whatever they wanted and pad their pockets and they would get rich as long as they gave what they were supposed to the Romans. Romans were happy. They were happy. They got rich off their own poor fellow countrymen. They were hated. You'd be tempted to hate somebody like that too, wouldn't you? They were known as vile. Many times they, they couldn't enter in a temple. They were seen as unclean. They often couldn't testify in court. I was read, reading in history because they were seen as such liars and deceitful men. They weren't trusted. Zacchaeus wasn't just publican. It says he was chief among the publicans. <laughs> he was the big guy, the top man. He was the, he was the, uh, thief, in, the, 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 the thief of all thieves, if you will. Jericho at this time was known as a party-type city. He could have been in Jericho living it up with his buddies this day. So why is Zacchaeus, this chief of the publicans, filthy rich from his sin and his thievery, why is he down a dusty trail up in a dirty tree seeking to see who Jesus was? What on earth would he be doing in a tree? How, how absurd for a man of his stature, uh, for a man of his, his uh, social status, if you will. Why, he had riches. Why would he be in a tree seeking out this Jesus of Nazareth for? Unless, as I believe, reading a little bit between the lines, that the Bible says the Holy Spirit convinces men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I believe God was already working in Zacchaeus' heart. He was drawing him to, to himself. Perhaps he'd heard stories. Remember, Jesus had another disciple who was a tax collector, remember? He left all and followed Christ. Maybe he worked for Zacchaeus. Maybe he told him about Jesus. And maybe Zacchaeus is thinking, man, 
He gave up everything, and he's following this poor Nazarene that doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He gave up all of this for that. Maybe it got him searching. And God was working in his heart and convincing him and drawing him to himself. Let me remind you this morning that God is still doing that. You can go out the town as this parade yesterday, and you can see the debauchery, and you can see the wickedness, and you can think, there's no hope. These people are too hardened to be saved. There's no hope for them. They're too wicked. They're too godless. And you can look down your nose at them as if they're worse than you, and their sin is worse than your sin. And you can forget that we have an inside secret. We know what God's doing. He's working in those people's hearts. He's doing that unseen work that you and I can't do. I can't convince a man he's lost. I can preach the truth of the Scriptures. I can tell him what God says in love and in kindness. But in the end, it's God, the Holy Spirit, that has to work in their heart and convince them I'm lost. I'm undone. I have no hope. I must turn to the Savior. It's God, the Holy Spirit, that works in their hearts. Do you believe He's still doing it? I do. He's still at work. The Bible says in Genesis, uh, yesterday in the men's meeting, we talked of the, of the flood, and, and God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Even way back before the flood, God was striving with men. He was working on them, trying to bring them to a place of repentance. They still rejected him then, but God didn't give up. He was grieved over them and he loved them and gave them an opportunity to, to repent. God is still working in men's hearts. That ought to encourage you this morning. When you see wickedness, don't look down your nose and don't think, don't give up on a person and go, he's too hard to be saved. Keep praying because God, the Holy Spirit, breaks apart the rock-hard hearts. He melts the heart of stone and he brings them to a point of Salvation. God's at work in Kenya. God's at work in Brazil. People are the same everywhere you go. They have different religions and different facades they put on. But deep down inside, they're all the same. They're sinners and they love their sin. And they don't like to be told they're living in sin. But God can break through that. And He can bring them to their knees. And He can bring you along just at that right time and you can show them the truth of Jesus and how He took our sin on the cross. And you can see life transformed. He walked a pre-designed path. A publican was convinced to seek Him. The third supernatural thing I see is that Jesus saw the unseen. Verse 5, when He came to the place, He looked up and saw Him and said, Make haste and come down. I'm going to your house today. He said, well, why is that supernatural that Jesus saw Zacchaeus? Isn't he God and doesn't he see everything? Well, yes, he's God and yes, he sees everything. But put, put yourself in the crowd that day. Imagine with me that you're in that multitude. It doesn't say how many there were. Could have been hundreds, could have been thousands. What's going on in a multitude that size? You got kids you know, dragging along, tugging on mama's skirt, maybe asking for a snack or some water. And you got, you got Pharisees discussing among themselves another question they're going to ask Jesus to trip him up. Maybe Jesus is teaching as he's walking along. You've got hundreds of feet shuffling along. A lot of commotion. Typically, if you're in the middle of a crowd that's around you and pressing against you, you're not going to be walking around looking up in trees, are you? You're going to be trying to make your way down the path. So many other distractions that you're not trying to find somebody in trees. 
But Jesus already knew he was in that tree, didn't he? I believe Jesus arranged his path so that even with the crowd around him, he was the one that ended up right underneath that tree in the right exact spot where he could look up and make eye contact with Zacchaeus. And he looks up and he sees him. You say, well, that's good. That was Jesus. Of course he sees him. Can I remind you that we believe, we sang it this morning, we believe in the Trinity, don't you? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you're saved this morning, who lives in you? The Holy Spirit? What the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory? The same supernatural, all-seeing God that saw Zacchaeus in the tree and dwells you. Now, you say, well, what are you trying to say? You ever been in town, going through a Walmart, or going along your way, and you end up talking to your neighbor, or, or whatever, and God impresses upon your heart, tell that man about me. Tell that little boy about me. Tell that person about me. And he impresses on your heart, and you're thinking, Lord, there's hundreds of people around here. Why are, you, why are you directing my attention towards this person? And I've never met them before. They don't want to talk to me. Why would I talk to them about you now? I'll tell you why. Because God sees everything, and you don't. Perhaps that person whose attention he's directing you towards is a Zacchaeus. And God's already been drawing him to himself, already working in his heart, and right at the right point in time, he brings you along their path. And if you're walking with God and not consumed with yourself and God opens your eyes, I tell you, you better obey. Because you have no idea what's going on in that person's heart, but God does. And He can supernaturally bring your path along that person's path. You tell them the gospel, the time is right, and they put their trust in Christ and their life is transformed like Zacchaeus. How many Zacchaeuses have I walked by? How many Zacchaeuses have I been near and God has impressed upon my heart, but I was busy, too lazy, too ashamed to go and share the gospel and missed out on an opportunity of a life transformed? Listen when God speaks to your heart. Walk with Him and He'll lead you. Maybe wake up in the morning and say, Lord, would you lead me to the person that needs to hear about you today? And would you help me to recognize it and to share the gospel with them and and maybe, maybe you've done that. And maybe God put that person on your heart and you told them the gospel and it seemed like nothing happened. But what you don't know is something did happen. You just might not see it right now. They may not have gotten saved, but God might have brought your path along and you were just planting a seed. And God knew it was the right time for that seed to be planted. And then God's going to bring another believer along. and Maybe he'll point that person's gaze towards this other person and he'll water the seed a little bit with some more scriptures. And God will continue to draw that person to himself. And then he brings along another believer. And then God gives the increase that day. We all share in the rewards in heaven one day. If we're faithful to plant and to water, but it's God that gives the increase. Jesus saw the unseen. Listen to him when he teaches you and shows you that someone you should speak to. The fourth supernatural thing I see here not only did he walk a pre-designed path, not only was a publican convinced to seek him, not only did he see the unseen, but he discerned the heart of the entire multitude. He discerned the heart of the entire multitude. You see that in verse number 7. Zacchaeus had come down, he made haste, and received Jesus joyfully, and it says, and when they saw it, verse 7, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. 
Let me ask you a question. How did Jesus know that everyone in the multitude was murmuring? He saw all their hearts. I don't think he took a poll. <laughs> Wasn't it in some kind of a presidential race? Say, what do you think? Is it okay if I go to Zacchaeus' house today? He saw all their hearts. And as he came down, and he went, Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, it says all the people murmured. Jesus saw their very hearts. And out of the entire multitude, there was one man who was ready to be saved. One. And you say, well, what do you mean the rest of them couldn't be saved? And I say, at this point in time, no. You say, well, why, why, why couldn't they? They didn't see themselves as sinners, did they? Why were they murmuring? Jesus was going home to be with a what? A sinner. What does that tell you about the crowd? They didn't see themselves as what? Sinners. God doesn't save people that aren't sinners. He saves the lost. And I pray that many of this crowd did come to Christ one day, but at this point in time, as they were murmuring, and their hearts saw Zacchaeus as a sinner, and them as the good people, they couldn't be saved, but God saw in Zacchaeus' heart. He was ready. He was ready. When you do witness to people, when God gives those opportunities to you, to water, to plant the seed, be careful not to shove the gospel down someone's throat and try to get them to pray a prayer and, 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 and be saved against their will, if you will. Why? So they haven't come to the point where they see themselves as sinners, not ready to be saved. We can become so zealous at times that we want to see something happen, that we can get somebody to pray a salvation prayer, and that's all they did was pray a salvation prayer, but they didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't, they didn't repent of their sin and trust only in Christ. They just prayed a prayer, came to your church. That's not the goal, is it? The goal is that they be saved from their sin and turn to Jesus. So when you do witness to others, be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if God says, hey, you're just, wa you're just planting right now. You're just watering. Be content to leave some scriptures with that person. Be content to trust that God's word truly is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that God will continue to work in their hearts after you're gone. Because it's not you that convinces them. Jesus walked the pre-designed path. The publican was convinced to seek him. He saw the unseen. He discerned the hearts of the entire multitude. And the best one we get to here is the last one. Verse number 9. Or verse number 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have taken anything from any man by false accusation. I restore him fourfold. Jesus created a new masterpiece, a transformed life. We have a problem here. If we stop at the end of verse 8, we have an issue. Was Zacchaeus saved? By giving everything back that he'd stolen times four and giving half of his goods to the poor? Is that what saved him? No. Read verse 9, and verse 9 explains what was going on in verse 8. It says, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house because he gave all his money back. No. He says, For so much as he also is a son of who? Abraham. You remember Romans chapter number 4, verse number 5? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for what? Righteousness. 
You have to be righteous to get into heaven. God will not let sin into heaven. And if you're a sinner, you will not get into heaven. You say, well, how can I enter in? Jesus made a great exchange. He took my sin in His own body on the tree, and He offered me His gift of righteousness. And He said, Jeremy, if you'll put your faith and trust only in Me, I will take your sin and I will give you as a free gift my righteousness. God the Father looks at Jeremy Lockhart this morning and he sees me as righteous. I stand as righteous without sin before a holy God, not because I'm good, but because Jesus was good and he took my place on the cross and he gave me his righteousness. What an amazing trade. What an amazing gift. Abraham believed God and it was counted or imputed or given unto him as righteousness. When you believe God, it's counted to you for righteousness. Zacchaeus this day believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And because of that, his life was instantly transformed. He stood and he said, I'm, I'm giving it all back, Lord. It was, it was ill-gotten anyway. It was never mine to begin with. It's all yours and, and I stole it, Lord. I'm going to give it back times four and I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. Jesus created a new masterpiece. He turned an ungodly, hated, despised sinner into a godly, giving saint. How did that happen? Supernatural. It's supernatural. Do you believe that God can do that today? Do you believe that He can save the wicked that marched in that parade yesterday? Do you believe He can save your next door neighbor? Do you believe He can save your child? No matter what the sin, it all deserves hell. And God wants to save all of us from hell. And He gave His only Son, but they must put their faith and trust in Him. One last thing I would like us to see here before we close, besides the five supernatural acts, you say, well, out of this whole crowd, only Zacchaeus? Only Zacchaeus? I imagine, and I'm reading between the lines a little bit, that in saving Zacchaeus, many in that multitude ended up getting saved. And you say, well, how? Put yourself there with me. You're in the crowd that day. Maybe you took a day off work. You, maybe you work for yourself and you, you're a fisherman and you need to, to make a living. You really needed to be out on, the, out on the sea fishing so you had something to sell. Instead, you're compelled to go and follow Jesus that day and to hear what He has to say. This Nazarene, He's doing miracles. He's doing this stuff. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to follow Him and see what He's doing today. And you're excited. You've heard, you've heard word that He's the Messiah. The one that's going to rescue his people and, and save them. And in your mind, the Messiah is going to be nothing more than one that throws off the shackles of Rome and, and liberates Israel and brings them to grandeur. But you weren't wanting somebody to save you from your sin. You didn't even see yourself as a sinner, but you're going and you're following Jesus that day and there's excitement and anticipation and you're wanting to see what he's going to do next. And with almost on the edge of your seat as you're walking down the path, Jesus comes up under this tree and he looks up. And what do you think happened as Jesus looked up? Probably the crowd follows him up. Can you, imagine, can you imagine what Zacchaeus thought? This guy is hated by everybody in that multitude. Next thing you know, the master of the multitude is looking right at him. And he's stuck up in this tree. And the whole crowd is almost like ravaging dogs underneath, ready to get him. And maybe you're in that crowd and you think, this is going to be good. Jesus is going to give him the what for? He's going to tell him how it is. He's going to tell him he's a wicked and a godless publican and he shouldn't have done what he's doing and how God's going to judge him. And instead, Jesus looks up and says, come down, hurry up, I'm going to your house today. 
And you think, is that what I just heard? No, he didn't just say, he's, he can't, he's not going to his house. If Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was, he wouldn't be going to his house. This can't be the Messiah. It can't be him. Because if he were the Messiah, he would know this. Everybody knows who Zacchaeus is and Jesus doesn't. And you get angry and you get frustrated and you turn around and you walk home. You're done. This, this is a farce. This is a joke. This isn't the Messiah. And then you go home. And the next day, you get a knock on your door. And I don't know if this is how it happened. I'm reading between the lines a little bit. So you open it up and Zacchaeus is standing there. This time, instead of saying, hey, pay up, you owe more taxes, he got a bag of money in his hand. Sir, is your, is your name... Is your name John? Yeah, my name's John. Sir, my name's Zacchaeus. You might know who I am. And you're like, I know you are. And he says, sir, here's some money I stole from you. You paid taxes and I charged you way too much. I stole from you. Here's four times as much as what I stole. And sir, I am so sorry. I have no idea what pain I've caused your family, what, what financial trouble I've caused you because of my thievery. But would you, would you accept this? And would you please forgive me for what I've done to you? And gladly you, you take the money and, you, and you're dumbfounded and you think, what, what's going on here? And then Zacchaeus, he hadn't gone away yet. And he says, sir, you might be wondering why I'm doing this. Yesterday, you're not going to believe this, but yesterday something had just been compelling me to go and see who this Jesus of Nazareth is. Have you heard of him? Jesus of Nazareth? I, I went to see him and I was afraid of the crowd and I couldn't get to him because, because of the press. Everybody's throng around him and so I couldn't get, get close enough. So I climbed up into a tree to see him. And when he came up underneath, he has all these people to worry about. But instead of all those people, he looked up at me. Zacchaeus, you know me. I'm the thief. I'm the one everybody hates. I'm the wicked one. And he looked at me and he said, I'm going to your house. And I said, sure, Lord, you can come. You can come to my house. And I, I came and he, he saved me. He took away my sin. He made me free. He, he, gave, he gave me new life. And sir, here, take this money. Please forgive me. And then maybe he went to the next door. And he began to tell another story. And I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a tree in the middle of town and he nailed a piece of paper and said, if I've stolen from you, come to me. However he returned the money, he would have had to interact with a lot of people, wouldn't he? Imagine the souls that very likely came to Christ as a result of the transformed life of Zacchaeus. And I say that to encourage you. Maybe you've wept and maybe you've prayed and maybe you've been faithful and prayed over some sinner that you desire to be saved and it seems hopeless and you've given up and stopped praying and think they're too hard, it's impossible, God can't do this. There is always hope until a sinner's last breath. God always has the power to transform a life. He doesn't give up on sinners. And when one gets saved, and maybe you get to the end of your life, and you say, Lord, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I, didn't, I don't have lots of souls to bring to heaven. How many souls did the martyr Stephen bring to heaven with him? As he was stoned to death, who was listening? Saul, the one who was murdering Christians got saved as a result of seeing Stephen. God worked in his heart, transformed his life, and multitudes were transformed as a result of that. Christian, be faithful. Be faithful in planting the seed. Be faithful in watering the seed. God will give the increase. He may not give it to you, but we're all in this together, and the reward is yours. 
Be faithful in your sacrificial giving to missions. The reward when he goes to Kenya and reaches folks for Christ and maybe waters a seed somebody else planted or plants it and doesn't get to see the increase, but God brings the increase to another missionary one day. But God's going to give, the reward's going to be all of you. Don't give up in this thing. God still transforms souls just like Zacchaeus. Pray for your city. When you see the wickedness, instead of complain, pray. Walk, plant and water and say, God, believe to the increase. And even if I don't see it, I'm going to be faithful and continue on. Jesus walked a pre-designed path. A publican was convinced to seek him. He saw the unseen. He discerned the hearts of the multitude. And he created a new masterpiece. He wants to continue doing the same thing in Kenya and in Brazil and all over the world in America and in Kingsport and wherever you live. He wants to do it in your neighbor's life and your kids' lives and your lost relatives' lives. Don't give up, Christian. Keep sowing. God is in a life-transforming business and He's not giving up. So let's serve Him faithfully. And remember, when you, when you, when you pray and you give to missionaries, you get, you get to reap in the rewards of that. When you sow the gospel, you get to reap in the rewards of that.